Okay, well, Shavuot now is over, and uh, today we are going to now continue in our uh, study of Breshit, of Genesis. Slowly but surely, we move forward, and uh, half a year has gone by, and we're in chapter (laughs) 5. Hey, listen, we have holidays and stuff, you know. All right. Okay. But, you know, uh, actually, on uh, Tuesday evenings and on Wednesday mornings at the Chavurah on Tuesday night, and then the men's uh, Chavurah group on Wednesday mornings, we're also going through Breshit. We're, we're way ahead of the game here. We're all the way up to, oh, chapter 23, 24. And uh, the great encouragement is there's a few chapters where you can actually move forward at, at a, a little bit of a quicker clip, you know, because they're basically one event, one story. But uh, these foundational chapters are really very important. Uh, and as we have said, they are not separated from, the, uh, from chapters 12 to 50. They're very much a part of that because all of this is leading up to Abraham, you know, this all the way from uh, the beginning of chapter 4, really, uh, uh, or even chapter 3, is leading up to Abraham. And uh, with these uh, genealogies, these are very important in uh, Breshid. In fact, uh, the whole book of Genesis, uh, as we have already said, could be called a genealogy with narratives in, in the, within the genealogies. Okay? Uh, and you clearly see it, uh, you clearly see it here. Uh, we tend to read the Bible very, um, uh, what's the word, Atom, atomistically, right? Which means like tunnel vision, right? Like, I, like when I read uh, uh, chapter 6, that is the beginning of Noah's Ark, without thinking about what comes before it or what comes after it and and uh, we may be familiar with the Tower of Babel story, and when we read it, we just read those like five verses. And we don't realize that it's stuck right in the middle of a genealogy. And then a portion of it, a portion of the genealogy after uh, the Tower of Babel uh, is only of Shem. Why is that? And oh, oh well, it's, it's fantastic how this is laid out. So what's happening here is, uh, as we uh, saw last time, uh, in chapter 4, we have Cain's genealogy, a genealogy that kind of goes nowhere. It's almost an introduction, you might say, to the larger uh, toldot or generations word or you know, genealogy of, uh, of mankind. Uh, but clearly, chapter 4 and chapter 5 are meant to be read, uh, in, in, in a sense, together, uh, because what we read in chapter 4 is all that went wrong uh, outside of Eden. All that went wrong. Cain murdering his brother, and then he leaves a legacy of pride, murder, bigamy, uh, uh, in the midst of what the world would call progress. And we, we looked at that last time where music comes from, where culture, civilization develops uh, within, within humanity. Uh, things that the world would call success uh, and progress. But as we see uh, the, the way it is laid out, uh, it is all apart uh, uh, from God. Now in chapter 5, and we mentioned this last time at the, be- the beginning of chapter 5, you have now another child is born to the man and the woman. Another child is born to Adam and Eve. And this child is Seth. This is the child of promise. This is uh, the child that uh, will be uh, the beginning of a history of people that uh, leads up to Yeshua, basically, all the way to the Messiah. Uh, and, uh, and so how important it is to see that even outside of the Garden of Eden, there is hope for the future. And that is what chapter 5 is depicting. Okay, 
Now remember the very end of uh, the very end of chapter four, the very very end of chapter four, right? You read uh, beginning in verse twenty-five. And Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and named him Seth, like the appointed one. For she said, "God has appointed." There you go. God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So clearly there is a change now with the birth of Seth, very different from the birth of Cain, the first offspring. Okay? All right. Uh, and, uh, and so we see people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. So Seth becomes, he's the appointed one, you might say, uh, a chosen one. But now in chapter 5, we see uh, once again uh, this, uh, the birth of Seth, but more information is given to us. This is the book of the generations told out of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. So now it's repeated, uh, and, uh, and more information is given to us. It's written about in a little bit of a different way. Uh, in a way, what we have here is we're going back to the beginning. It was like, uh, uh, you know, we, we had like a false start uh, with Cain uh, and his descendants. And now uh, we're going to, so to speak, go back to where we came from. Go back to the beginning and we get to start again. We get to start again with Seth. All is not lost. That is, a, that is a, a, an important lesson to learn from this genealogy in the fifth chapter. That all is not lost. We're not stuck because of Cain uh, and, and his sins. So we see then here uh, a repetition of the creation of, uh, of man. And we see that when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And male and female, just uh, like we read in chapter 1 uh, of, uh, of, of Genesis. And then it says, And he blessed them and named them man, or humanity, right, in the day when they were created. Uh, and so we're reminded, it's sort of like a little word of optimism, you know, because of how bad it was with the sin of Adam and Eve. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, now they have relations, and then you have the Cain and Abel story. Uh, and then you have this genealogy of Cain, where the legacy that he leaves is murder and bigamy and pride and terrible things. But then we see, but wait, God gives humanity yet another chance. And so uh, Adam and Eve give birth to Seth, okay, this chosen one. And now we're reminded that mankind was blessed, made in the image and likeness of God. But then we see here that Adam lived 130 years, and he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. So we learn here that God is blessing humanity. They are able to be fruitful and multiply, and that the offspring are in the image and likeness of God. Now that in and of itself teaches us some very important lessons. Uh, uh, and the main one there is, of course, is that uh, God is the father of humanity. The father of humanity, because that's, that's what we have. This is not, um, uh, you know, Seth is the only child now, right? You know, there's no more Cain and Abel. You, uh, uh, and now you have Seth, a, a, the chosen one, you know, Cain goes off and his descendants are not mentioned anymore. Uh, they're not in the lineage of the deliverer, right? Uh, and so now you have the rest, the rest of humanity is going to come from Seth, 
the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, you do have, again, you do have Cain's line that's never mentioned again, but then you have everybody else coming from, uh, coming from Seth. And so what it teaches us, uh, among other things, is that every person who is born is created in the image and likeness of God. Every person that's born, every human being, that means that every single human being uh, has a dignity. Now, what individuals do with their lives is a whole other story. Uh, and uh, the repercussions and the consequences uh, of what people do is a whole other story. For some people, uh, for extreme cases, uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the image-bearing uh, of their lives is hidden. And you, you would never know that, that they're uh, image-bearers of God. For the vast majority of people, you know, there's uh, good people out there, there's not so good people, there's, most people kind of fall in between, you know, and uh, as uh, one of my favorite little books uh, has the title, An Ember Still Glows, you know, there's still, uh, there's still something there where you can see the image and likeness of God, even in an, in an unredeemed uh, situation, as is most of humanity, right? But that uh, here we are told, here in chapter 5, now when God gives humanity another chance, we're reminded that mankind is created in the image and likeness of God. And God blesses mankind. God makes mankind be fruitful uh, and multiply. And that is what we see. Now, the purpose of this genealogy, the main purpose is to get us to Noah, right? There's 10 generations from Adam, uh, to, uh, to Noah. And uh, generally speaking, with, a main, with one big exception, uh, what we read here is uh, we read the age of the patriarch. Okay, uh, We read uh, uh, the name of his firstborn, the remaining years of his life, how old he was when you know, the child was born, the remaining years of his life, and the acknowledgement of other sons and daughters. And then we uh, read the total years uh, of his life and the notice of his death. Okay, each one, each one's major contribution is in fathering a child and moving humanity forward in this portion of the larger genealogy of of uh, Genesis. Okay, it's imp- each one of these is uh, is important. First of all, one of the things that we see is that the deliverance of mankind is rooted in history. It's rooted in real people living in, you know, in this world, uh, generation after generation uh, after, uh, after generation. Uh, we notice that they lived really long lives before the flood, right? They lived really long lives. Uh, we read that if you look at their whole life, when they, when they began to have children, it was sort of, sort of young, right, in the, uh, in the big scheme of things. Uh, because like for Adam, you read in verse 3, when Adam lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image, and he named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years. So he was a young man. Uh, when uh, he fathered uh, Seth. And then it says he had other sons and daughters. Uh, And then it says, So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and then he died. Now, it's important to understand that when you read the names in this genealogy, the next name isn't chronological, like, and then after Adam died, you have the next name. So it's important to realize that Adam, for example, lives to see almost everybody be born in this genealogy, in this portion of it, leading up to Noah. He sees almost everybody being, being born. Uh, and, and so that, that's also very important uh, uh, to understand. We'll see why uh, in a few minutes. All right. Also, the fact that, that it mentions sons and daughters is also very important, because God created mankind male and female. And so if 
uh, through the gift of uh, intimacy, uh, children come uh, and they're created in the image of God, male and female, sons and daughters. So that also is, uh, is very important. Another thing that is obviously important, and if you've ever studied this before, been in a Bible study, you probably have heard this. You read, and he died, 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 right? And, and so we, we might ask, now, why, uh, why is that there? Why do we read, and he died? And the answer is, is because even though God has given humanity another chance, even though now there is hope, there is this great note of optimism in this genealogy, there is still the ramifications of the sin of the parents, the sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, their sin of, uh, you know, of disobeying God, their rebellion, led to mankind being in exile out of the Garden of Eden. And one of the ramifications of that is death, is death. And so the text makes it clear that these people, while they lived a long, long time, they died. They died. Uh, and, and so this is the consequences of, uh, of Adam and Eve's sin. Even though there is, um, uh, there, there is hope for the future. And so it tells us that, uh, that death happens to us all. Uh, and even these people, uh, who, uh, you know, even Seth uh, dies, uh, Methuselah dies, uh, and later on Noah dies, Abraham dies, uh, Isaac, Jacob die. They all die, right? Uh, uh, because that is the consequences of uh, the sin of Adam and Eve. But that is in the midst of this great word uh, of, um, of optimism, okay? Now, in this chapter, actually, I'm just going to read. I think I'm going to read the chapter, okay? Uh, because there's a few names that stand out that we need to understand in the big picture. So it says in verse 6, And Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years, and he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enosh lived 90 years, and became the father of Kenan. And Enosh lived 815 years, and he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Kenan lived 70 years, became the father of uh, Mahalalel, and Kenan lived 840 years after became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years, became the father of Yerod, or Jared. Uh, then Mahalalel lived 830 years, and he became the father of Yerod, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Yerod lived 162 years. He became the father of Enoch. Then Yerod lived 800 years, and he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Yerod were 962 years, and he died. Then Enoch lived 65 years. He became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech. And he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. It's interesting, this is the only place who doesn't name him right away. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work, 
and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord had cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, if you move over to uh, chapter 10, you'll notice that chapter 10 begins, now these are the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. And so the genealogy continues. But in between, we have this narrative uh, about Noah, Noah's Ark, you know, Noah, the flood, the worldwide judgment, uh, the salvation of Noah and his family and what happens, uh, you know, and uh, the narrative of what happens to them. So it's important to understand that, the, that uh, when we talk about what happens to Noah in the, in the narrative of Noah and the Ark is within, the gene, within this genealogy on the way to Abraham. Okay. So, it's no uh, coincidence here that uh, you have now this uh, new lease on life for humanity with the birth of Seth and that this portion of the genealogy ends with the birth of Noah, right? Uh, and notice what it says about Noah at the end. This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Clearly, this is a reminder of the sin of, um, of uh, Adam and Eve, and now, through Seth, there is hope for the future. There is a deliverer. Okay? Uh, and, and so, that's very interesting. It begins with now Seth being born, and this portion ends with the hope that we have uh, in, in Noah. But there's other things here uh, along the way. There's actually, there's four names that are accentuated in this chapter. You have Seth. You have Enoch, you have Lamech, and you have Noah. Okay, uh, These are four very important people uh, in this genealogy. Now, of course, uh, we see that there's a big, the big exception to everybody dying, right, is Enoch or Enoch, right? Now, there's some really interesting things uh, about him here. First of all, he doesn't live a long time. I don't know if you ever noticed that. He lives 365 years. He's a young man when he dies compared to every other person in this genealogy. They all live to 800, 900 years old. But Enoch lives till he's a mere 365. So it's sort of like dying in his 30s, if you think about it. You know, uh, he died uh, a young man. So one of the lessons that we learn from observing this is that age here does not necessarily mean more godly than others. That's important to understand. And that certainly relates to real life, doesn't it? Because people die at a young age. Many people die at a young age. And we should never read into that, that, uh, oh, that, uh, you know, they were, uh, there was something bad that took place. And so now, you know, God took them. I mean, anything is possible, and you could, uh, you know, you could read a few things in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that uh, might uh, give that impression. But, but it is very interesting, I think, here with uh, Enoch, he dies at a young age. Oh, wait a minute. He doesn't die, right? God takes him. This is a very unusual word here, a very unusual situation. And certainly much has been written about Enoch. And, and some of those questions are not answered, are, are not answered here. Why Enoch? Why not others? What does it mean? What does it say about everybody else? I, you know, uh, all we can say is that Enoch is an exception to the rule. He's an exception to the rule. So we see here that one, uh, he becomes, ironically, he becomes the father of the man who lived the longest. He becomes the father of Methuselah. So maybe Methuselah makes up for Enoch's 
leaving at a young age. I don't know. But he becomes the father of Methuselah. That means Enoch is the great-grandfather of Noah. Okay? And like everybody else, he has other sons and daughters. But we read here that he walked with God. He walked with God. A few people in the Bible, we read specifically, walked with God. Okay? Uh, we read, uh, for example, uh, that Noah walked with God. We read that uh, Abraham and Isaac walked with God. That's in Genesis chapter 48, that Abraham and Isaac walked with God. And you read allusions to people walking with God. Uh, and, and so what does that mean? What does it mean to walk with God? Well, perhaps it's at first a throwback to the Garden of Eden. You know, God walking in the cool of the evening, God having this uh, intimate relationship with uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, so perhaps we can start there. But of course, uh, we know that the word for walk is halach, right? And throughout the Bible, in both the Tanakh and the Brit Harashah, it's used to refer to a person's way of life, their walk, the walk of a believer. We even use that terminology, don't we? We get it from the Bible. Uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling, Paul says in uh, Ephesians in the fourth chapter. Walk in, in a way that is worthy of being uh, uh, someone who is identified with Yeshua. Have your lifestyle be in such a way that you are living and walking in intimacy with God. And so for the first time, we see that here. And so... Uh, Enoch, evidently, in a very unique kind of way, not, this is not a disparaging word on the other people in the, in the genealogy, but in some kind of unique way, Enoch walked with God. He had some, uh, uh, and it's not described here, uh, but a unique relationship with God. Now, we do read about Enoch in the Brit Harashah in two places, right? Uh, in Jude, we read about uh, Enoch. It's in the first chapter, right? Jude, of course, it only has one chapter, okay? Uh, in verse uh, 14 of Jude, And about these also, Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Okay, so, first of all, notice it says in the seventh generation from Adam. So that's kind of important, that uh, Enoch is the seventh generation, when you go back to Genesis 5. It tells you that there's something very special about him. The seventh generation. Okay, very important. He was a prophet. That's something that we learn here. He was a prophet. And this is what he said. He preached a message of judgment. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We know that in this day, the world was becoming increasingly, increasingly sinful. Because in our next message, we're going to read the beginning of chapter 6, which is really the epilogue of this genealogy, that the world became more and more, uh, more, and more sinful. And so we see that Enoch... We don't know this about the others, but we know it about Enoch now, that he was one who uh, challenged people in their ungodliness. So that tells us that one, one uh, a demonstration or attribute of walking with the Lord is to confront sin, is to call upon people to repent. Certainly that's what the prophets, that's what the, uh, prophets did. Throughout the Bible, uh, and we see it. Uh, we see it here. So that is one aspect of uh, of what we know about Enoch 
uh, in his demonstration of uh, walking with the Lord. But there's another one, and that is in the book of Hebrews. And these are the only two places where Enoch is mentioned in the New Covenant. In Hebrews chapter 11. Now, you may be familiar with the book of Hebrews and chapter 11 of Hebrews, the great faith chapter, right? So beginning with the beginning of the chapter, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, believing what we don't see, okay? For by it, men of old gain approval. By faith, we understand that the words, that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now here we go in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. That's a quote from the Septuagint, a version of the Genesis passage. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, then you have a little commentary in verse 6 on this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so we see that Enoch was a great man of faith. In his walk with God, it was, not about, it was not about dotting I's and crossing T's. It wasn't about which holiday did he celebrate or did he put the tefillin on the right way. It wasn't about uh, how busy he was and all that he did. We read two things about him. We read that he uh, preached the word of God challenging people to repent like the prophets and that he was a great man of faith and he believed as it says here in the reality of God and of the blessing in the blessings of God and so he was a great man of faith so the and and it says clearly here that he did not die so a question here is so why why is it here what does it mean to us what are we supposed to get out of it well i think probably the main thing that we're supposed to get out of this is to compare the uh, Enoch, who was this great man of faith, Enoch, who was this great preacher who didn't beat around the bush and told it like it was, to Enoch, the son of Cain, who built a city and placed his hope in earthly things. You see here two Enochs, right? Now, Enoch, the son of Cain, if you remember back in, going back now to uh, chapter 4 of Genesis. All right. Uh, you read in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 4. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now, Enoch was born... Erod. Erod became the father of these a number of other people. And it's interesting because some of these names sound similar, although they are not the same. The reason that your English Bible spells Erod, I-R-A-D, and the one in chapter 5 is J-A-R-E-D, is because they're, di they're different. <laughs> okay? Uh, so that's, that's important. But I believe that it's written this way so that we would compare these two genealogies. And that in chapter 5, this is the kind of people that call upon the name of the Lord. These descendants of Seth. These uh, stellar people in this genealogy getting us to, uh, getting us to uh, Noah. And this particular one, this particular one exhibited a unique kind of faith, a unique kind of walk with God. And in his case, for reasons only known to God, he doesn't die. And it is this great word of hope for us that in this genealogy where we see the ramifications even of people who walk with God and call upon the name of the Lord as death, 
There's one who doesn't die. Great hope for the future. That the end is not about death, but about life. And Enoch is that representative. Now, what's interesting is, is that you know that there's another person uh, uh, that doesn't die. Who's that? Elijah doesn't die, right? That's, an, that's a whole other story for another day. But you see, he does the same things. Remember the story? You know, the, uh, what we, he's constantly preaching to those kings. And he is like bad news. He is the bad news prophet, right? He's telling the kings just about how, how God is more powerful than them. And, and then he challenges the, the false uh, prophets, you know, and he's preaching away and he exhibits this tremendous faith in God. We also see uh, that he's a man of clay feet. When it's all over, he's afraid and he's actually kind of depressed uh, because he's being persecuted. But the point is, is that he's another one. And you know what's interesting is that both Enoch and Elijah take on mythical, uh, mythical meanings. Their lives take on uh, mythical meanings. First of all, Elijah. In rabbinic literature, Elijah is the, the hero, the Messiah-like figure in many different stories. The one who saves the day, the one who brings peace, the one who finds something that was lost, the one who we hope, you know, of course, we know who is going to come uh, and announce that Messiah is on his way, right? But in the rabbinic literature, Elijah is very famous. And in uh, not rabbinic literature, but the Jewish literature that came before that, the pseudo-pigrapha, right? Uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the period of time after the uh, end of the, uh, the prophets, but before the Gospels, right? You have uh, Enoch. Uh, you have a variety of books of Enoch. And Enoch is depicted as one who's who's taken on these journeys into the heavens and, and sees these apocalyptic visions of sp spectacular events and so on. Uh, and so it's very interesting that because they didn't die, they, they take on, it, this would became no, obviously noticeable by ancient Jewish scholars and then later on Christian scholars also, after the days of Yeshua, uh, and they take on a life of their own. In other words, people recognized that, wow, these are unique figures that we need to pay attention to because they represent a glimpse at the future. They're a glimpse at the future. And, and right from the get-go, in that first genealogy of new hope with a new child born to Adam and Eve, there's a glimpse of the future in this unique one who doesn't die. He walked with God. What a tremendous reminder to us now that the Messiah has come, right? You know, if you turn with me to, um, well, actually, let's save it for a moment. Save it for a moment. I, I, and and we'll, we'll turn to Romans chapter 5 in just a minute. But the point is about uh, Enoch is that he is the hope uh, of the future, Okay. Uh, and he walked with God, and a great uh, a reminder to us of walking with God. But let's move on for a moment to Lamech and Noah, okay? To Lamech and Noah. So after Methuselah, we have Lamech. Now, Lamech is the uh, son of Methuselah, the grandson of Enoch, of Enoch, and the father of Noah. Now, Something interesting takes place if you add up all the numbers. And uh, I, uh, in my Bible, I have this really neat um, chart that shows when each of them died in relationship to everybody else, you know, uh, in the genealogy, when they, were, when they were born and died. And I remember when I learned this, uh, that it was really remarkable, and that is that Adam dies... Sometime after Lamech is born, but before Noah is born. That is significant. Adam dies. And now we read that Lamech has a son. So it would be helpful if there was a 28A. 
and then Adam died. Because it's significant that now we have almost, you could say, like another Adam in, in Noah. This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord had cursed. Our hope is going to come in Noah. Okay? His name does not actually mean comfort, but it's like a play on words. It's real close. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Uh, but so it's, his name is a play on words of, of, uh, of comfort and, and of rest. And, of rest. and, and uh, so we see here that uh, now there is another one who is uh, the potential deliverer, okay? Now, we know, and it'll be the story for another day, you know, actually, you have to ask yourself, well, he's kind of the deliverer in the sense that God is going to judge the whole earth. It's not that now the whole earth is going to turn to God and everybody's going to be righteous and believe, but the earth is basically going to hell in a handbasket, as we might say. And that Noah, the story of Noah is, Noah is the one who is saved out of the flood. That's really his claim to fame. Yes, his faith in building a boat that no one had ever seen before. No one ever heard of a boat <laughs> or an ark or, or anything like that. Uh, and so he exhibited great faith. He's, he's called holy and blameless in his time. And you know what the rabbis say about that, right? That the time was so bad that Noah was like the best that God could find. That's kind of interesting. But he's called blameless. He walked with God. He exhibited great faith, right? Uh, and so he becomes the hope for the future. Now, it's interesting, Lamech, we can't bypass the fact that Lamech is the one who says this. So that means that Lamech exhibited great faith in believing that, he, that this son of his is going to be a deliverer. He exhibits tremendous faith. Very different from the other Lamech. Very different from Lamech in chapter 4, who was full of hubris, pride, murdering even boys, young people, and he, and he, and he glories in it, uh, and has multiple wives, everything bad about the legacy of Cain. But then when we come to chapter 5, we see not Cain, but Seth. Not Enoch, son of Cain, but Enoch, who walks with God. We see Lamech, not, the, uh, not this uh, murderer, uh, you know, in, in terrible person, as he's described in chapter 4, but we see this man who believes in deliverance that God provides. And so we see this, uh, in chapter 5, this great hope for the future. So let me just say this, that when we think about the hope for the future, of course, most of us, you know, have read ahead a little bit, right? And we know that what's going to happen is, this is going to bring us to Abraham, right? That, that Noah is going to bring us to Abraham. Uh, and Abraham brings us to Isaac, and Isaac brings us to Jacob, and Jacob brings us to his 12 sons, one of which is Judah, which brings us to David, which brings us to Yeshua. And in Romans chapter 5, now we'll turn there, in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, we read, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, See, death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one... Of, of uh, transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Yeshua HaMashiach, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from, the, from many transgressions resulting in justification. 
For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Yeshua the Messiah. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted in justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Okay? And, then we, and the law came and that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. And so Yeshua is like the antitype of Adam. He brings life. And it is interesting that in this genealogy, in chapter 5, we see first Enoch, the one who did not die, who gives us tremendous hope that in Messiah... While we may die, we live forever. We may die as in we leave this world uh, and this body, but we continue to live, that we have life in Messiah. And when we know the Lord, we could say that we become like an Enoch. Not that we don't die, but we become like an Enoch and that we live forever. And that we never stop living, ever. And that there is hope uh, in this promise through this new son, Seth. So there's Enoch. And then we see in Noah the hope of the deliverance. And in the, uh, you know, in, in the ark, we see he becomes like a type of a messiah, Noah himself. Become, when we'll talk about that later on, becomes like a type of Messiah. And so this genealogy in chapter 5 gives us hope. Gives us hope uh, in Messiah. Uh, teaches us that uh, a God is faithful and does not give up on mankind. Uh, but there's also a couple of very practical lessons to finish up with. And that is Cain and Seth. Uh, two individuals. We saw the relationship of Enoch to Enoch and Lamech to Lamech, but there's Cain to Seth. And in their own lives, not in the cosmic sense of the salvation of the world, but in, in their own lives, they leave a legacy. They leave a legacy. Cain's legacy starts, you know, with his own, uh, the mur murdering his brother, and everything becomes very much this worldly uh, and unethical and immoral. That's the legacy that he leaves. Seth, on the other hand, remember it says, and people began to call upon the name of the Lord. He leaves a different kind of legacy. He leaves the legacy of Enoch. He leaves the legacy of Lamech. He leaves the legacy of Noah. So a question for us, just a very practical question for us, is what kind of legacy are we leaving for our future generations? Uh, are we teaching our young people to follow the way of the Lord, to call upon the name of the Lord? Are we instilling that in them? Are we, are we um, uh, cultivating that in, in their lives so that they will grow up to know the Lord? Everyone's responsible for their own relationship with God, so that they will know the Lord. Will, will they uh, 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 get married and have children and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord in the midst of this crazy Cainish kind of world? You know? And so that is, uh, that is just a practical takeaway from this chapter that brings us from Adam to Noah. God never gives up on mankind. He did not give up when, he, when mankind began to live in exile, he brought forth Seth, he brought forth Noah, he brought forth Abraham, and of course, he brought forth Yeshua. God has never given up on this world. And now in, in this new Adam, as we embrace him, we then are restored. God never gives up on us. 
no matter where we are at in life, even if we've embraced Yeshua, he still never gives up on us and desires to always restore us. We said he gives mankind another chance. He gives us another chance. And like Enoch preached, you know, a judgment and repentance, so we need to receive that. And we need to repent. And we need to be people who walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which God has indeed call, called us. And we look forward indeed to that day when there is a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and a new worldview and a new way of life when God indeed restores this world. This is not all there is. Our hope, our promise is on the descendant of Seth through Noah, through Abraham, Yeshua, the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, God, that uh, you uh, are a God of hope. Thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are in life and no matter what's going on in our lives, thank you, Lord, that we have the promise of Yeshua, the promise of new life in him. And Lord, I pray that you would give us comfort in our own lives when we think about Enoch, when we think about loved ones that, have, that know the Lord and that have passed away, that they become, as it were, kind of like Enoch, you know, living on forever with you. Thank you, God, for that great hope and that great promise, Lord, that, that uh, this is not all there is, and that you promised redemption of this world, and it begins with, with each of us embracing the Messiah. And thank you, Lord, that in our lives, we're in the process of redemption, Lord, but thank you that when we come into your, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with you, and that we are redeemed. We're in your presence, Lord. Oh, Thank you, Lord, for the marvelous hope, the marvelous future we have. Our future is not as Cain's descendants. Our future is as Seth's descendants through Noah and, and Shem and Abraham and Yeshua. Lord, thank you, God, for that great hope. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.